G'day, T-Bone. How are you, mate? G'day, Adzi. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, mate. Uh, you want a beer? Ooh, yeah. What have you got there? Well, mate, I got a nice cold can of Cheeky Monkey Brewing Company's West Coast IPA, 6.5%. Where'd you get that, mate? Well, funnily enough, I was just up at the Cheeky Monkey Brewery production facility in Vass, in the industrial area up there, and, uh, mate... Not only are they making bulk amounts of quality beers and canning them up, but you can sit down, order a little wood-fired pizza and uh, get a frothy one out of the keg straight off the wood, mate. It's a quality local brewery here in the southwest, just like us, and it's pumping out some delicious frothy beers. It's got to be a cheeky monkey. Hey everybody, it's Joe Pell, and you're listening to Barreled Surf Podcast. G'day, T-Bone. G'day, Nami. Mate, what's going on? You're looking a little bit sad there, mate. Mate, I'm a bit red and raw. Why are you a bit red and raw, T-Bone? Well, the missus likes me to have smooth balls. <laughs> Does she? Does she indeed? So I tried the wax method, Namu. Oh, waxing your balls. Are you crazy? Got a way better idea for you. Have you heard of the good crew at Manscaped? I have, actually, Namu. Tell us a bit about it. Well, Manscaped are the finest in men's grooming products. They've got this thing called the Lawnmower, where uh, Lawnmower 3.0, you just take it in the shower and just shave your nuts that way. Way easier than having a waxing job. Sounds like a way better alternative to me, Namu. Mate, you can get your, your Lawnmower 3.0 out and give your, your nuts a little bit of a shave there and then uh, revitalise it with a bit of ball conditioner and a little bit of ball reviver. Mate, where the hell do I find this Manscaped package? Manscaped.com, you can get it on there, mate. And did you know that if you put barreled into the coupon code area in the checkout, 20% off, mate. Mate, I'm on to it. Anything to do to save my balls. Lock it in. Okay, welcome to Barrel Surf Podcast. It is Namu here with you. It is an absolute pleasure to be back in the studio. I am missing two of my favourite people today. We have got T-Bone not here and we also not got Adzi with us, but we do have a very special guest in the Barrel Surf Podcast studios by the name of Nathan Lynch. Are you there, Nathan? I am. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm really good. Really good. Thanks for uh, coming and having a chat with me. We've... Uh, Obviously known each other for a long time and um, yeah, good to have you on the podcast. Now, one thing that I should mention to people is that I have known you for a long time. We've never really, none of us and our friends ever really know what you do for, for a job. Can you give us a bit of background, mate? Yeah, mate. So I'm in money laundering, as you might have suspected. But Money so, laundering. Like, anti, hang on, let me get this right. Anti-money laundering. So I work as an investigative journalist looking at the world of illicit money. Prior to COVID, I'd sort of travel to really exciting places like Jordan and Dubai and Pakistan and across Southeast Asia, looking at the world of black money, illicit money, how um, the drug trade and terrorism is financed. And we'd write about that for our subscribers. So it's a pretty interesting line of work. I've just loved it. Probably spent the last 20 years doing that and building up my networks in that area. But prior to that, as as you and I both know, I was an aspiring surf journalist way, way back. <laughs> so um, it's been it's been good for things to come full circle. Yeah, nice. Nice. 
Um, and the, the the way that people might know your name just recently was uh, you were employed or contracted by Stab Magazine, weren't you, to cover the Rottnest Island search event? Oh, mate, I was so lucky. It was like getting the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Um, <laughs> being a lockdown event with no spectators, I just couldn't resist. So um, fortunately, the the wonderful people at Stab opened some doors and greased some palms and paid some bribes and, and got us in there to cover that event. And it was just classic. It was um, a whole 10-day festival of, of <laughs> fun and mayhem. And um, you, you really see the surfers in a different light in an event like that where there's, you know, kind of not the pressure of, of an audience around all the time. So it was, yeah, sure. it was a fascinating trip. Yeah, awesome. So how, how did um, Stab come to come across your work? Did you know Sam McIntosh or how, how did that work out? Yeah, I've known Sam for like 10 or 15 years or something. Okay. used to write for him back in the day, um, back when Derek was editor and, you know, Stab was sort of blazing a trail across surf publishing and doing something really different to everyone else. And okay. I used to write for them back there. Probably the highlight of that period was... Um, drafting the script and producing a cartoon on Timmy Curran. I don't know if you remember the Stab cartoon, but they did these amazing multi-page cartoons with Ben Brown as the artist. I mean, Ben Brown is just a legend comic artist. And so that was probably the highlight of my Stab career back in the early 2000s was producing one of those comics. Ben Brown. Yeah, they've sort of gone out of... um, of out of vogue, those surfing comics. I mean, all the way back to uh, Captain Good Vibes and, um, yeah, some of those classic, uh, yeah. What were some yeah. of the other ones? Can you remember any w- other ones? Wilbur Kookmeer, remember Wilbur him? Wilbur Kookmeyer, of course. Yep. That, was a, that was a good one. Um, there was one in Surfing then, Life too, I think, maybe Waves. Surfing Life had this artist called Collins. He was yep. just freaking amazing. His drawing was so good. But they, they do sort of more the still type cartoon. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, uh, the um, the good vibes stuff obviously was iconic. You had yep. Gonad, Gonad Man in Waves. Oh, I think that was um, one I was thinking of, yeah, Gonad Man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's got a great tradition, but I think Ben Brown's stuff with Stab um, was was iconic because they just took it to a, a whole new level of artistry. And um, it, people might not know this, but the reason Kelly Slater had such a – tumultuous relationship with Stab back in the day is because of one of Derek's cartoons about Kelly and it showed his father in a bad light and um, Kelly as you would know if you've ever followed one of his Instagram posts um, he can hold a grudge that guy (laughs) (laughs) I think it's been repaired now but it took a good 10 years (laughs) (laughs) just having a sip of tea and uh, I just about spat it all out over my computer Oh, don't um, do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, you, you did describe your, your little Rottnest expedition uh, as gonzo journalism. Um, mm. Can you tell, for those those people like myself that don't know what that means, what, what is gon- uh, gonzo journalism? Yeah, good question. So, gonzo journalism um, used to be called, like, new journalism. So, you can imagine back in the old days, the journalist and the writer always had to be non-existent, transparent. And the idea was that you didn't want to introduce your bias into the story. Sure. And so you got that really staid, you know, newsy style of writing, which was horse shit because the <laughs> author always injects their bias into it and it was boring. So yep. then you had these amazing writers like Tom Wolfe and Gay Talese and others come along 
and just do journalism in a whole different way where the getting of the story became part of the story. Um, okay. You know, just it, there's iconic work that they've done. Um, Gay Teles used to, like, enjoy interviewing the losers. You know, everyone was obsessed with winners, but he kind of went, oh, there's kind of more interesting stuff happening behind the scenes when people lose and how they handle Look loss and what they learn Flores. from it. Jeremy Flores, guys, <laughs> you know, the, the eternal bridesmaids often have the most fascinating stories. I mean, winning's easy, isn't it? It doesn't take much <laughs> psychological strength to win a world title, but it takes a lot to come second and then bounce back. So anyway, yeah. then, then Hunter S. Thompson obviously took it into the um, heights of fear and loathing in Las Vegas, but every, every journalist probably dreams of being able to do a good gonzo assignment. I've done a couple of them for music festivals, which is great fun. I mean, you go and cover a music festival like Glastonbury and try to write an article where you don't mention any music. It's, it's quite right. a difficult task. <laughs> and that, that's sort of what we did with this piece. You know, it was a five-part series, um, but I, it took me about four parts to actually mention any surfing, which was <laughs> part of the fun. So <laughs> did, did all the crazy things you describe in your, in your pieces actually happen? Mate, it was... You know what? The moral of the story is never embark on a gonzo journalism assignment lightly because <laughs> you unleash something somewhere in the realm of the gods of journalism that, that just takes takes you into places you never, ever wanted to go and, and never want to go again. So we started <laughs> off with this plan to sort of have a faux investigative journalism thing where I would try to pierce the, the bubble that they had over there. By land, by sea. Yeah, the, the wobble, yeah. A and try and get in there, you know, by dark and all the rest of it. And we had it all lined up. And then on the morning of the Great Sea Invasion where we were going to tow in a hydrofoiler through the contest area <laughs> between the fishing boats and the fisheries <laughs> guys and everything. And we'd done a test run two oh days no. before and it had gone swimmingly. Like, you know, as I said in the article, it's like the surfing equivalent of a nudie run during the grand final. <laughs> and we had my children's school phys ed teacher ready to do this, who also happens to be Perth's best foiler, right. Nathan Chandler. And we wake up in the morning and my boat has basically blown away, broken anchor, sunken on the beach. It's full of water and string weed and completely unusable. So, so this is at that point, rib. mate, the stab raider and then... <laughs> And that was when the ghosts of Wajamup really took control of the situation <laughs> and lo and behold, the wonderful guys at Club Marine came to the rescue, organised a salvage mission and would you believe it? The guy turns up and it's Dave Barnett from Sea of Darkness. I mean, just unbelievable stuff. <laughs> oh, so that's where this Sea of Darkness connection comes in. Okay. Yes, yeah. So, and, and, you know, like Dave was the mentor to Martin Daly. Those guys were genuine pirates going yeah, yeah. through Southeast Asia in the 1960s and 70s, pillaging old wrecks, like war wrecks. Um, and Martin Daly got a job in his crew and that all led to the whole Indies Trader thing. So the Raider, which was Barnett's boat, got renamed the Indies Trader. He put an Indies T on the front because it's bad news to rename a boat. Right. But the Raider had got such a bad rep across Southeast Asia as basically a pirate ship that he had to rename it. And so Martin Daly took, on, took Barnett's boat, it became the Indies Trader, did the crossing, the search, and the rest is history. So we're sitting there on the island getting our boat salvaged and towed yep. back to Perth, our miserable little bark of a thing. 
taken back to Perth. The boat that I was going to use to go in and out of the contest and ferry surfers back and forth for interviews is getting towed back to Perth by oh, no. Dave Barnett. And meanwhile on the island is Doug Claw Warbrick, you know, the Rip Curl founder from The Search. Right. Um, who's floating around. So it was like these, um, you know, these meteors, Claw and Barnett all came past and connected at the same time over Rotnest. It was just so this stage, one of those surreal turning, moments. Turning into like a fear and loathing in Las Vegas style sort of experience for you. So did you speak yeah. to um, Barnett about Sea of Darkness? Mate, I spoke to him um, for about half an hour while he was there, while we were waiting yep. for some glue to... Um, <laughs> to <laughs> some glue to dry on the rib where he'd patched it up, ready to tow home. And it just blew my mind. I mean, he just he just rattled off story after story about stuff that they'd done and, and outrunning the Philippine Navy and getting busted, pillaging a wreck that Tommy Sahato was already pillaging and fleeing. Oh, you know, is, I mean, that, just, just is that the president's brother? Son. Yeah. Son. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. so you know, I mean his his stories are just legendary. And we're sitting there listening to them and uh, incredibly, like last weekend, I got invited over to his house to sit down and drink Shiraz and sit around his fire and talk, just oh, listen to his stories for four hours. So, oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. This is, all these threads kind of came together. It was just so much fun to do. But as I say, you don't want to embark on a gonzo experiment lightly. And I wasn't even on LSD. I'd hate to think <laughs> I haven't a hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've made Barnett. He's surely he's got like a palace or something. He would have plundered a fair amount of uh, of booty back in the day when he all those pirate, pirate missions. Oh mate, I mean his 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 house is like a you know it's like a maritime museum. It's it's the yeah, okay. the unofficial Fremantle Maritime Museum. But the <laughs> stuff that he's collected, it's just amazing. I mean I won't go into what he has, but it's just extraordinary. I mean he's he's lived a life that surfers can only dream of and I, th I think what happened was Daly who's this iconic figure in surf exploration he he was young he was about 14 when he left you know to to experience the world and become um eventually a diver and he kind of he met Barnett by chance they were both working on a salvage job up in Southeast Asia in Indonesia and yep. he met him and they just hit it off and in a way Barnett but was kind of like filled this I believe it kind of filled this void in Martin of wanting a really adventurous, exciting father figure in his life. Sure. And, and that's kind of how it worked. And the rest was this amazing journey. But, you know, like Martin probably is, is like Dave Barnett, but with an even more adventurous streak. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So you can see why Martin's lived such an unbelievable life. And where, where's he these days, do you know? He's got his big resort now in the Marshall Islands, you ah. know, that incredible one, you know, the right-hander that Kelly Slater surfed in yeah. the Marshalls. So wow. it's, it's basically in the Bikini Atoll, which was, has had more nuclear bombs dropped on it <laughs> than any other place on earth. <laughs> and it's been radiated for 70 years. So now that it's kind of, you know, largely deradiated, the waters are anyway, it's just like pristine, untouched sea life. Get in there. So yeah, you can go amazing. diving and there's there's untouched World War Two wrecks, you know, boats that were taken out during the bomb testing, amazing sea life and pumping surf. Pumping. Wow. Yep. Mate, when the when the borders open up and when the international flights open back up, maybe that's our next trip. 
Well, it could be. I mean, if, if Rotnest is the poor man's Tavarua, then I reckon Bikini Adol is the rich man's. <laughs> the rich man's Mentawis. If you've got 50 grand and 15 mates, you can pack that place out. Boom, boom. Probably have the, have the trip of your life. Yeah. Now that you did mention uh, the poor man's Tavarua, I think you, you referred to it in your, one of your articles that, as the tight ass's Tavarua. I didn't want to say that, would I? Did they get past the editors? Well, what was the atmosphere like on the ground at Rotto? Oh, mate, it was so it was so good, and I kind of suspected it would be, which is why I worked so hard to get one of these golden ticket invites, yeah, um, and, and get over there to cover it. But you know, right, Rotto, as all West Aussies know, it's a magical place. We've all spent our childhoods there, and there's something about. Landing there, it's an island, so the laws of the land are inverted immediately and, and weird shit happens on islands everywhere that would yep. never happen on the over-regulated mainland. And then you add to that that there's no cars and, you know, you just get around by foot and there's no private property. So it's almost like Cuba on the shores of <laughs> the world's dullest capital city in Perth. <laughs> and it was exactly like that. I mean, they were so relaxed. Or You'd sit there in the pub and you could just watch... The best 60 surfers on the planet just wandering around the joint, you know, Geordie Smith in Rottnest formal attire, tracky dacks and thongs, just cruising down to get yep, his nice. bread at the bakery. Sage Erickson cruising around on her bike, patting quackers and before she fell uh, off it. Yeah, oh man, poor girl. Yeah, I mean <laughs> she's she is such a you really when you just sit back and observe, you kind of get this insight into their personality. She is yep. the most beautiful person. She is she's so open and pumped and enthused and she'd ride around a lot of a lot of them are in the competition mindset the whole 10 days. Yeah, okay. So they've got their headphones in everywhere they go. They don't hang out much with each other because they're in the zone and trying to stay in the zone right, almost right. like fanning style. You okay. know, the Borg has taken over whereas Sage and and actually a lot of the girls to be honest, a lot of the women seem to have a better balance of being able to enjoy themselves on tour. So you'd see Sage just cruising around enjoying herself. You'd see Carissa on her bike with a beanie just beaming, riding around, getting photos with kids. Awesome. Um, yeah, it was a really a great thing. And any a couple of grommets actually went over there and broke their way into the contest area one afternoon and had a surf with, with about three pro surfers at the end of the, the day just before dusk. So good anyone that went over there had a good time. Yeah, nice. And um, from being over there at Rotto with all the pros, what, what's your, I guess, your overall sense of life as a pro surfer? It seems like it's pretty pretty carefree. I guess there's obviously stress with the competitions and that sort of thing, but seems like a pretty good life, huh? It's a pretty good life, unbelievable life. It's got to be the best, you know. What, is, what does the state government say? Quokkas are the happiest animals on the planet. Well, I reckon surfers are the happiest athletes. They've got <laughs> the greatest existence. They, they do the best sport on earth. But the thing that surprised me, Namu, is they, it is actually quite a lonely existence, I think. At that really right, elite okay. level, you yeah. know, like you've got to be ready these days to go in the water tomorrow and sit on a guy with 15 minutes to go in the heat and sit on him under priority and just starve him, crush him, destroy him, sure. prevent him from even getting a wave. So I think... I must break you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's life and death for some of those guys, particularly the Brazilian contingent, you know, that are coming mm. from radical situations back home of near poverty yeah, yeah. in some cases and they're supporting foundations and charities and families and extended families so on the men's side of the draw i got the sense that 
it could probably be quite a lonely existence at times where you're just hanging out with your immediate circle of coaches and trainers and videographers if you're lucky enough to have them. But I think the women have a bit more fun with it. Um, maybe it's not quite as intensely competitive on the yeah. on the women's side. They seem to have a, a really good balance. Yeah, okay. You mentioned the Brazilians there. Did you sort of... Um, uh, there's been a lot of talk lately about how they sort of roam in packs and they really support each other and they're all good mates and perhaps that's what's missing from the Australian story at the moment. Did you did you get a bit of an understanding about how the Brazilians are sort of gelling together? Oh, big time. Okay. Uh, they, nice. they, they, uh, mate, they're, they're just weapons. They're amazing. They <laughs> want it. Their hunger is so much greater than any of us pampered people that grew up in Australia or the US, you know. Yep. They, they have this... I mean, they love their sport. It's life and death, like I said, and they they stay, you know, after they've been knocked out. That was the fourth event in a very long, you know, six to eight week leg in Australia with two day, two weeks of quarantine. And yet, you know, Yago and those guys were staying around to stay for the final to cheer on Gabrielle when he won, which was just awesome, you know. The bit yep. that I thought was pretty fascinating was the rivalry that's there between Gabrielle and Italo, that was fascinating. You know, okay. those, those two, you know, they're still mates and they love, you know, they, they're part of that friendship bubble, but it's different with those two, I think, because they're the two alphas. There's no doubt that there's two alpha males on tour at the moment and they both want that world title desperately. They're both going to be in the top five, obviously, yeah, at, yep. at Trestles and it's going to be really fascinating because in any normal year, uh, you'd have to say that, Medina pretty much had the world title stitched up already. Yeah, well, Whereas, what is there? There's three events left, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it yeah. goes down to the five and then anyone can win that day at Trestles. So I don't think there's going to be any in Brazil and I don't think there's going to be any in Mexico. Is that, is that what you've heard? That's what I've heard, yeah. 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 And yeah. we've got, I mean, obviously, we've got Olympics coming up, which is going to throw the year into a unique space. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you'd have to say that definitely those two guys will be, I'd, I'd reckon, at the top of the, top of the pile. Sure. But, you know, as has been pointed out, you could get a, a random Avenger like Morgan in there in the final five um, yeah. at, at the end of this year, which would be pretty interesting. And a, play, a place like um, Lowers, who really knows? It, it's just such a, such a strange, strange place to be having the finals. Um, it, it is a strange, it's a strange format when surfing's on this, you know, ever-changing playing field. It's it's a very funny thing to have a sudden death heat like that, you yeah. know. But at the same time, in this COVID year, they could have ended up with running two events if things had played out differently. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, yeah. So, so having that, you know, you don't end up with a title like the CJ one where the year just suddenly stops in the middle. <laughs> you're going to get, you're going to get that that sudden death that playoff, final which stage, will be entertaining yeah. it'll be yeah. it, hey trestles is going to pump and it's high performance so it'll be a good day yeah it's not going to be the end of the world that's for sure um yeah. with, with gabby medina did you sort of get a, a bit of a feeling because always there's been this talk about he's a bit of a cyborg and a bit of a nightmare but all his mates and his teammates seem to think he's a, a great bloke but that seems to be perhaps the i guess the outside uh, viewers is sort of softening on, on him a bit. Did you get a bit of an idea about that? 
Oh, mate, he, he's a different guy. You know, it's Gabby 2.0, as 2. we said 0. in the article. Yeah. Gabby 2.0 is a, is a man to be feared. He's free of the overbearing presence of, you know, his, his former manager, um, coach. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously they're a, an amazing team, but he's he's growing up now and he's his own man and he's married and he's in this incredibly happy place. And I think his hunger to succeed is even greater now because he's doing it as an independent man as in his own right and and yep. he's got his muse sitting be- beside him the you know the brazilian and supermodel <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he gets to give andy king a squeeze at the end of the day if he does well so <laughs> who wouldn't want that no he's 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 a really cool guy this sums him up right you know he's got He's never been fantastic speaking English and he doesn't come across really well. And I think that's been a big part of why the Western media has been really hard on him and he's yep. been portrayed a certain way. It's the English as a second language thing and he doesn't have that nuance when he speaks and that confidence sure. that some of the others do. But on the so on the way home after the event, he stayed around, he's chatting to everyone, he's stoked, his, his new wife is just like besotted with him. <laughs> um, almost, o- almost to frightening proportions, and he's in the bus on the way back in the badass seat right down the centre with his entourage, just so pumped. And then the bus drops him in the middle of Rotnest near the uh, lodge, and yep. they've got to walk ten minutes back to the hotel that they're staying at, Samfire. And so he's got about ten people in his gang, all the Brazilians, and they start walking through Rotnest with him and his supermodel wife holding this massive globe, this World Globe <laughs> trophy. And the island just, it turned into Carnival de Medina. The oh, island man. went haywire, mate. Like the ladies are running out from the ice cream shops going, we love you, Gabby, come in for a free <laughs> ice cream. And he's cheering them on. It was just, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And he was loving it. He was smiling. So I reckon we're going to see this new Gabriel Medina and, and we're going to really like what we see and it's, it's frightening for anyone else who has their yes. eyes on the world title, I reckon, yes. because he's going to be so hard to stop when he's in this state of mind. You, you can't see him losing this year because the, the other thing that people are forgetting about the top five um, shootout is that he only has to win one, one, of, one of the, one of the um, not events, but one of the heats. I think it's the best of three heats in the final. He only has to beat one person. He's got it. So if he has a good heat, which he probably will, he's... Um, He's got it's it covered. His. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing watching their semi-final because first wave comes, they split the peak. It's about a six-footer um, and it's firing. And he goes left and just surfs it perfectly with three huge hits and then lands on dry reef and rides out. And Italo just, like, takes off, just pumping down the line on the right. You couldn't tell on the broadcast that it was a split peak because they follow one wave. Right. But in real life, it was they were so fast. They are anyone else looks like an amateur compared to those guys. I'm sorry, but they're yeah. next level, and they just both flew down the line. And Italo just launched into this massive six foot full rotation and lost his board because Rodriguez yep. had shit wins for airs. <laughs> and it's like, well, there it was. You know, if Italo had landed that, he probably would have gone on to win the comp. Yep. So that's that's the thing with Italo is he could just have. A heat where he lands two massive full rotation airs and take it out. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's he's that unpredictable firecracker. I love him so much. He's like Oki. He's great to watch. You wa- he's so exciting to watch. He's just really unpredictable, which is something surfing needs. I think his his coach would probably look back at it though. He's he's got a coach, hasn't he? Surely. 
um, and say, mm, he, sorry, yeah. he has. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, yeah. d- I don't know about that. Yeah. But just it just did seem to focus on going as quick as he can to get the launch pretty much every single wave in Australia. So um, yeah. maybe focus yeah. a little bit on the uh, open wave calves. It's like for future reference. I don't know. I'm no coach. I, I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's listening, mate, and, and taking <laughs> notes. So it'll tone it down, mate. Just get get you know get your first one to the shore. Three massive turns. And then bank that and then do your huge airs. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> you two, two yeah, big ones. Yeah. Um, you are listening to the Barrel Surf Podcast. We have got Nathan Lynch joining us today. Uh, Namu here with you. So with, geez, it's it's a big, big few weeks coming up, obviously. Um, mm. And we do know that the, you know, the surfers have had a, you know, there was some talk, Tyler Wright certainly, Cops a little flack ex- uh, expressing how exhausted the surfers felt at the end of Rotnest. Mm. Do you think that was a, a sort of, do you think she got that right? Do you think the response to that was correct? What, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, that, that was a really interesting moment. Everyone, you know, everyone gets so uh, irate at surfers when they come out of the water and they're just automatons talking about two to the beach and yep. one heat at a time. And on the Australian leg, Stace did such an amazing job of those beach interviews. It was yep. his first time at doing that and he got the call up. And because of his talent and his understanding of surfing, he brought out a different side in the surfers and he never let them go into that fallback position, which was wicked to watch. Yep. And so you've got that moment where she, they were, they were all exhausted, you know. It was, it's one publication said, oh, you know, they're the most pampered athletes on the planet. They've done three hours work in, <laughs> in four weeks or whatever. But it's like, man, they have to be ready to go every morning. Yep. It is so unpredictable with the weather. And there was a day at Rottnest where no one was going to run and then they burnt through 23 heats or something. Yes, so yes. they've got the media, they've got the whole COVID thing playing out, they've got two weeks quarantine, they've then got to go back and some of them have to get ready for the Olympics. So, you know, there was exhaustion all around and it's not a normal time to be travelling. It sounds like fun to all of us with our boring desk jobs, but it is actually pretty demanding for them at the moment more than ever. And she was very open and we all know that she's had her demons in the past with her health and fatigue. Yep. And she was so she was coming through with a really honest, genuine take and she kind of got bagged out for it, which I thought was pretty pathetic on the behalf of some elements of the media. Um, it, was, it was really real. And I think you saw it in her semi-final where she arrived on the beach late, she was rattled, she got out there, she just didn't land anything. Yeah, I've never seen Ran a surf like that, that's for disappeared. sure. Yep. I just hope she's in a good space and, and that she'll come back really strong after some home time, you know, because she's an amazing surfer. She's an awesome woman and the sport needs her. Yeah, it's I, yeah, it's an, it's an unusual one with Tyler. She seems like she's pretty open in some respects, but then also not secretive, but very sort of guarded in other respects. I guess that's just the nature of what she does. Um but yeah, that's that does tend to happen in professional surfing. That sort of secrecy, the the um, wall goes up, you know, in certain aspects of the sport. Is that something you'd you'd agree with? 
Oh yeah, I mean it's it's getting better now, but mm. you know it was it was probably the most misogynistic, sexist, homophobic culture for the first forty years of of surfing culture, <laughs> you know, and it's it's a bit more um, cosmopolitan and enlightened now. But yep. you look at the way that she had to hide her sexuality and the fact that she had a female partner for so long because of concerns around what I'm presuming concerns around what impact it would have on her earning potential sure. and how the surfing community would, would take that. So she's been a trailblazer really in some ways in terms of, you know, coming forward and being open about who she is and the struggles that she's had. And, you know, the poor lady has also been ripped off by her family friend accountant really recently. Oh, is that right? Oh, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a financial crime journalist, I'm all over it. <laughs> um, she's been completely ripped off by the family accountant, allegedly. Um, we're talking I a think, substantial amount of money, obviously. We're talking like about, I think it was either six hundred or 800000 Holy um, crap. Yeah, and the other family members. In total, it was this, this particular person did the accounts for Tyler, uh, Owen, Mikey, and the family business. Uh, right. And, and they all allegedly got... Built, but Tyler copped at the worst. I know. So you know, mate. I mean, there's heaps of things going on in people's lives, and it must be hard as an athlete. I mean, if we're going through a rough patch, we just a crap at our jobs, and no one really <laughs> notices, right? No one. <laughs> we could probably not turn up, and no one notices. Well, um, whereas an athlete, money laundering going on if you if you're crap at yours, so we don't want that. Oh. Yeah, well, there's lots of people that probably hope that I'm crap at what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly the uh, Westpac and CBA feel that way. But no, I mean, um, it, it is really hard for athletes if they're struggling with any personal issues and they've got to be there turned on at the absolute top of their game at the drop of a hat. And she, she wasn't feeling that way at the end of Rottnest, that's for sure. Mm. So hopefully it's just a little bit of, you know, um, get home, recharge, reconnect with the family and get back on track because it would be terrible, just devastating if she ever had a relapse of that fatigue yeah, condition yeah. that she had, the post-viral post syndrome, you know. She's probably got to be a bit careful with that. Yeah, well, what a bunch of bloody Aussie, Aussie legends the right family are. They've had their their challenges, but um, geez, they yeah. they surf amazing. They obviously have a bit of an opinion on things as well, which I think is bloody brilliant in the surfing world because there's not enough of it in a public forum. Um, now, mate, yeah. you mentioned the Olympics just earlier. We've had the ISA games, and we've got the pool the Kelly's pool competition coming up. I think it starts mm. in maybe two weeks. Is that right? A week and a half, something like that. I think it's yeah, yep. Um, I yep. Saw, yeah, I saw today that about Julian six Wilson, weeks to the Olympics. I think. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Julian Wilson has pulled out of the pool party. Did you hear that? Mm, I did. Yeah, yeah. So any um, any a couple a couple of the Aussies have actually. I think Sally pulled out as well. Yeah, um, I know. Which Bronte's was fascinating because she's. Bronte's not going, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's heaps going on in her life, obviously. Yeah. I think it made sense. Yeah. But, you know, in the case of Sal, I thought that was an incredible um, development because she was firing at Rottnest. She was so strong and dominant. And, she and then the she's ISA come in and she's well. won the ISA Games and now she's not going to compete in the, t in the puddle, which I think she'd be really good at. Yeah. So I reckon those two surfers have nothing on the top of their board. They've got blank noses right. and they're kind of running on low sponsor, you know, second tier sponsorships. If they can go and recoup now, you know, there's not much in it winning in a chlorinated pool. Yeah. But if they can go back, recharge, do their two weeks of quarantine in Australia, get ready. Gold. 
win a gold medal, they will be that rare breed of surfer that crosses over like Gabby has into mainstream sponsorships. Ah. And all of a sudden, they that would be completely life-changing for them. So, good strategy, you know. Yeah, okay. Give Lamore a miss. They're probably, you know, it's harder for Sel because she's in contention for top five for sure, but probably not with Julian. So, good decision. I hope he does it for Australia and brings home a, a bit of plunder for down under. Yeah, okay. Because I was, I was sort of thinking... Um, Julian is in the Americas already. Why wouldn't he just bust it up to uh, Lamore? Either way, he's got two weeks in quarantine when he comes back. But um, yeah, that kind of makes sense when you break it down like a investigative journalist that you are, mate. So yeah. Um, oh, mate, five, five or six weeks to be at the Olympics, you know, like any... No, there'd be, I don't think there'd be many other of the Olympic contenders that would be off doing athletics carnivals at the moment. You know, no, like what if right. what if you get an injury in the pool? Not that you probably would, but <laughs> what if you well, fall on some concrete or or I don't know, slip in the spa or something like that <laughs> and, and miss the Olympics? I mean, it'd be terrible. So Julian and Sal in particular have so much to gain by coming home with a medal. You know, it's gonna it's gonna be really fun to watch, isn't it? Like. How good is surfing at the moment? Oh, it's going to be incredible. I um, I know that the pool gets a pretty pretty bad rap, and I understand why it does. But I still would prefer to watch people surf in the pool than people not surf at all. You know, so yeah, <laughs> still, absolutely. Still right. good that there's a comp on. So I'm just looking yeah. at the dates. But I'll, I'll give you. I'll, here's a conspiracy theory for you, mate. Right. Like, so there's no longer a season closer at Hawaii. Yep. There's now a season opener at Hawaii. And they've moved to a final day top five sudden death playoff. Okay. Now, that's not probably going to really fly at a fickle mother nature venue like Trestles even. Yep. So, wouldn't the natural segue be, oh, we'll run all the events all around the world in mother nature and then we'll have that final playoff in a predictable, reliable venue. Mm. Oh, we happen to own one, the <laughs> tank. Is Dirk's, uh, you know, evil, Dr. Evil master plan to have ultimately the season decider in the tank televised across the Oprah Winfrey network or something well, like that? Or CNN? Yeah. yeah, and they sort of got their little little t- taste for it with the ultimate surfer coming up as well. So, Mate, maybe, maybe exactly. That's it. Yeah. Maybe that is exactly I- it. I hope, I hope I'm just being too cynical after 20 <laughs> years dealing with scumbags and terrorists and money launderers, but I, I, I do uh, think that would be a pretty clever corporate strategy for the WSL. Yeah, I'm just looking, just looking at this um, schedule here and they've got the Kelly's Pool event on the 18th and the Olympics are on the 23rd of July. The other interesting thing there is they've still got the Mexico competition slated in for July the 5th. Just and then I just yeah just cannot see that happening whatsoever. Nah, no, none of the Olympian Olympia, uh, Olympians are going to go there. That's for sure. There's no way they would risk that prior to the Olympics. So yeah, I think there's no way. I think there's no. something in that. Interesting times. Um, well, so and particularly for the Aussies because you know we've got really strict COVID control. So yeah, yeah. if they came back from Lemoore, spent two weeks in a hotel room when they really need to be like training and on the top of their game. Um, it would throw them off from yeah, the Olympics, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. Is Aaron Wright going to the pool? Do you know? At this stage, um, he hasn't said he's pulling out, so um, that's interesting. 
Yeah, okay. Maybe, you know, like he might be travelling with a uh, wife and baby in tow perhaps and they would all go as a group, settle yeah, down in yeah. the States and then chill for a bit, train and just go straight to Japan without going home. But that's just speculation. Yeah, oh, interesting. Uh, I'm just looking on the STAB website here and there's a um, bit of an explanation from a comment called Venturous Plan. Good to see Venturous Plan getting amongst the comments there. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess, did did his commentary align slightly with what I've just said by any chance? A little bit, a little bit, yes. Uh, (laughs) Amazing. Um, We all all need an alter ego, mate, (laughs) so we can can make favourable comments on our own articles. (laughs) (laughs) Just counterbalance the internet's bile ever so slightly. There's your uh, conspiracy (laughs) theory right there, Nathan Venturis Blaine Lynch. Um, <laughs> I've been outed. I've been outed and doxed on the world's most popular surf podcast, you bastard. <laughs> I, I think I think the uh, the listeners and uh, not listeners, the commenters could probably put two and two yeah. together there, but I'm not gonna. Um, mate, now I know that we've both got to get back to our jobs fairly shortly, but um, like like I said, mate, they don't notice when I'm not there. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned. Um, um, Rip Curl, Doug Claw. Well, it's, it's Doug yeah. Warbrick being there um, at Rudder, having a fat old time in, enjoying the life. So obviously yeah. he, he's Rip Curl. Um, how, how, how did the sort of Rip Curl team look with him there? Were they, were they sort of into it and just enjoying themselves? Was, you know, the brand thing in surfing is very interesting at the moment, obviously with people losing sponsorship and so forth. But Rip Curl seems like they're pretty pretty stuck into it pretty pretty much uh yeah here for the long haul is that is that correct do you think i think it is mate they're they're you know of the big three australian surf brands they're the only one that didn't float and crumble and get hoovered up by private equity right which is the most you know soulless of capital sources basically <laughs> so you know they're they're owned by Katmandu after that 350 million sale which was a uh, great deal for the company and the staff, you know. Like uh, it's a good buyer for that business, and you can, uh, if you need evidence of that, Rip Curl's the only brand that held its athlete salaries throughout the COVID crisis. Yeah, sure. You okay. Know? Their business is booming, and they kept everyone's contracts as they are. And Gabby's the highest paid, and Mick's the second highest paid in the world. So awesome brand. But I tell you what, seeing them at Rotnest made me wish that I'd gone to a few search contests prior to the Kathmandu sale actually because Claw was there, 78 years young, just holding court (laughs) at the event every day, cheering on his athletes, like so committed to it. He just loves it and, you know, what a great brand. They were all there. They were having a ball. Uh, So it was kind of cool to see their surfers do well. Claw would would sit there in the um, local pub at Rotnest on lay days and if you wanted to go up and buy him a beer and chat about, you know, the search or the early days of surf brands or whatever, you could just do that. So He's really right cool environment oh, and, awesome. and a really a really cool guy, just an icon of of the surf industry for sure. Yeah. Still making good wetsuits too. Um what they what's are. what's your, your thoughts on I guess the brands in general in surfing? It's been a lot of talk with Hurley changing over and Julian Wilson dropping off there and obviously John John Florence is there are they their surface salaries just taking the Olympics out of the equation the surface salary is going to get back to what they were say five years ago do you think nah nah no way 
I mean, that was the bubble that was triggered by the arrival of Nike just kind of blowing everything out of proportion. Yeah. Um, and so there were some crazy deals that were inked during that period and then the COVID force majeure clauses allowed them to pull a lot of that back. It's not going to happen again, but do we cry? Do we, you know, how much milk do we spill over the fact that, you know, surfers are getting a million dollars now or 600,000 <laughs> a year now to surf as opposed to two or three mil. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you're not going to find too much sympathy. And the the danger is that, you know, when you've got Quicksilver and Billabong, from a contractual point of view, Quicksilver and Billabong, you know, owned by the same private equity company, they're not going to compete for surfers, are they? So no, they certainly you've aren't. Really, you've really got Rip Curl setting, setting the benchmark for athlete pay and conditions. Sure. Um, and they're only going to have so many athletes on their roster. So I think what we will see, though, Namu, is um, these organic brands coming through, you know, more grassroots brands popping up and offering surfers equity for participating. Yeah, sure. And that's, you know, like Bruce Irons did crazily well out of Volcom by getting some equity. Oh, did he? And yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, he made a lot of money. <laughs> uh, he, was pr- he was probably the highest paid surfer in the world um, around the time that... They sold. So, um, you know, there, there's huge upside there for surfers if they can get in with a brand that aligns with their personal values and, and marketability and build it into something huge. Yeah, sure. And what about the uh, the great brewery escapades, mate? Uh, we've heard a lot about the uh, Bolters and the, uh, what's the one over in the States? I can't think what it's called. Archer, maybe. Pacific or something. Archer, was it? Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. now a lot of them are jumping onto the hard seltzer. Have you heard about this? Mate, even even Paul Fisher has a <laughs> has an alcohol drink company. Oh, he's I mean. losing it, mate. He's losing it. Uh, oh, mate. I mean, I, I I would love to drink that beverage. They just look like they're having so much fun. <laughs> but I go into bottle shops and you can't find it. I don't know. Maybe you have to do mail order or something. They definitely need to work on their distribution. So they should bring Fanning or or Tarjin or something. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, this is this is a really good example. You know, the the old way of just turning up, getting signed by a brand on a million bucks a year and just going surfing, it's not there anymore and it probably won't come back to that same extent. So the surfers have to be way more entrepreneurial now. Little pivot. Um, run, run their, you know, instead of their image being intermediated by magazine editors, they're out there with their own followers um, and their own social media accounts driving the agenda. Yeah, yeah. So I think we'll see heaps more of this. You know, you've got Dane, for instance starting up his own brand and it'll probably do exceptionally well yep um yeah john john florence marine florence x yep don't forget the x because his pg rated clothes were fucking boring there's another yep. another one it's be interesting to see how that one goes um you did mention just yep. just then uh surf media what's your take on how things are going in the surf media obviously you've just been speaking uh not speaking you've been writing for stab um, are you across mm, how mm. they're sort of going in terms of their subscriber numbers for their Stab Premium? Mate, I wouldn't go into that. You'd have to speak to Sam or mm. Tom Bird about that. And, and I don't know anyway. Is it going but well? What I know? would say is um, I think their model of freemium, you know, similar to software where you get a free version yeah. that's um, pretty, you know, has, has features locked down and then a premium version that you can pay for. I think it's a brilliant model. Yeah. We've got to get people... It's really hard, but we've got to educate people that good content isn't free to produce. 
You know, there's this resistance to the fact to what Stab's doing, and I see it on their Instagram account <laughs> where the minute they put anything up that's gated, people lose their shit. Yeah, and it's like, well, guys, you were always paying for content. Whenever you bought a magazine, you were paying for good content. Hundred percent. Those pixels, those pixels, the ones and zeros, they don't align themselves into the shape of a story or a photograph on their own. You've got to, you've got to be willing to pay for good content. Yeah, and their model, which is. If you don't want to pay, that's cool. We'll still give you a service yep. is a really excellent one. And then at the same time, you've got Aqualuna Media with White Horses and, and ASL, you know, niche print publications that are actually doing really well as well. Yeah, okay. So, you know, there's a few pathways out, but, you know, you and I and most surfers love, you know, we're hooked on surf media. We, we grew up on magazines just waiting for them to turn up at the yep, newsstand yep. you know um i've still got boxes of them in my garage that my wife is saying <laughs> when, you, when are we throwing those yeah, out it's like no yeah it's, um, um, yeah yeah but you know i mean mags are really mags and publishing and surf publishing is really important just because you've got the direct access to the performers through their social media accounts yep. i'd hate to see that cannibalize surf media yeah yeah um, because i think the great the great magazines like Stab and Tracks and Surfing Life and White Horses and, and the Barreled Podcast, um, <laughs> you know, the sport needs them. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I do do enjoy, again, my, my fingers around a, uh, a print magazine, probably not as often as I used to, but it's still still a great thing to be able to sit down with a, um, with a magazine. And what about, mm, just, mm. Uh, just on that subscriber model, do you think that will ever come into play with the Wazzle? Oh, mate. Well, I mean... <laughs> you know, look look at the tie-up that they're doing with um, Dana Wyatt, you know, with Ultimate Surfer and all that. Yep. You can see the the way that they have to go. You know, it's a massively expensive product to produce. Yep. And when you when you see, you know, you've seen it down at Margie's and yeah, I've seen yeah. it at Rottnest and m- anyone who's been there has seen it. It's a massive operation and they're so slick. Their production is bloody awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's a free product. Um so they've they've got to somehow monetize it. I mean, at some point, every, everyone's probably secretly petrified that Dirk Ziff's wife one day will get a fin cut or something like that, and then give up surfing, <laughs> and and it's over. <laughs> we it. don't have a we don't have a professional league anymore. We are There's out. no one there. That could we happen any time, couldn't it? As I reckon, when people are bagging out the WSL, you know, spare a thought for the fact that. It's a loss-making enterprise. We're lucky to have a billionaire, multi-billionaire, that keeps this folly going. And it's a free product, so just enjoy it for what it is. And, and in your criticism, try and be constructive rather than there's elements of the surf media and the public that just slag anything the WSL does because it's commercial. Yep. It's like, man, it's professional sport. They're all commercial. But, yeah, I, mean, I reckon if they could come up with a, a model where – I don't know. The whole the whole of media needs to move to a model where you've got seamless micro payments. I'm a believer that cryptocurrency is the way to do it, okay. so that people people don't feel like they're peeling a wedge out of their wallet every time they read a story or watch a watch a movie. Yep. You know, if it's if it's cryptocurrency micro payments like Brave Browser does, you know, it's it's more seamless and there's a couple of cents here and a few cents there as you consume content, and that then keeps funding good content creation that we all love so much so yeah i yeah. hope it gets worked out because surf publishing you know there's no doubt about it it's it's in a difficult place you know we, we all know that mm. um so i just hope it gets worked out 
Yeah, I, I guess you wouldn't have. And to. I hope Dana White doesn't take over the WSL <laughs> and turn it into cage cage fighting. Cage yeah, fighting. You know, underwater right, yes. cage fights is Start probably his vision fighting. for surfing. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds, sounds like an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Um, Wait, just chuck a, chuck a couple of, um, you know, freshwater crocs in the Lemoore <laughs> Lake and um, let them go at it. Let's see. <laughs> Kelly Slater's uh, Crocodile Lake Ultimate Surfer Fight Off. Sounds, sounds amazing. Um, you know what? I, 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 jokes aside, I would pay to watch that for sure. Of course you would. Of course you would. Mate, we've got to wrap this up. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. We have been talking with Nathan Lynch on Braille Surf Podcast today. Um, before we do go, one thing that was sort of discussed a little bit, and I thought it was probably a good good point to finish off on, the Indigenous experience, obviously, at Rottnest received a bit of attention. Mm. Um, yeah. How much, how much awareness do you think there is in the average West Australian about the history of Rottnest? My awesome question. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for ending on that too. Um, look, n- n- no awareness. I mean, mm. you know, when we were when you know you lived on Rotto, didn't you, for a while? No, or no, I, I lived no? on Penguin Island, which is south down near Rotto. <laughs> <laughs> you got the Dad Island. <laughs> Did your dad own the bakery on Penguin Island or something? Pengo Bommy, you were the, you were the Mitch Thorson of, of Penguin Island, All the mate. Safety Bay Rockingham crew out there, Pengo Bommy, respect. and that explains <laughs> why Namu is was never on the world tour in the nineteen eighties, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Um, you know, like we would go to Rotto and where we would camp at Tentland, yep. we had no idea it was on unmarked graves. And until I went over there this time and had a chat with the amazing Professor Lenny Collard, um, I didn't realise that that was the biggest deaths in custody site in Australia. Wow. You know? Um, so, and, and I did do some research into the history because I wanted the narrator in my series of Gonzo articles to have a process of awareness as well. It's always good when you're crafting a series of stories like that and a narrative arc. You want your narrator to grow sure. um, or change or something with the with the story. So I wanted the narrator to go in quite unaware and then and then have some insights. And Collie, um, you know, like just blew us all away. Um, I wasn't expecting it, but his stuff on the broadcast was amazing. Yeah. And the WSL, to, to their credit, man, they gave the Indigenous community a really genuine platform to share their story with the world through that event. Yeah, sure. And it wasn't a gratuitous welcome to country. It was a very genuine, open forum to properly listen to their stories, which are as important today as they were when they happened. And, um, you know, I've, I've, like everyone else, I've gone on and done more research into it and found that the kinds of offences that people were sent to Rotnest for was like courtship, you know, the crime of courtship. So. <laughs> An Aboriginal, one of the guys, he was an Aboriginal gentleman. He he um, lured a a worker off someone's pastoral estate in courtship and he was sent to Rotnest and luckily he was one that made it out. Right. Uh, and then when he came back, he went and married her when he returned. Yeah, so yeah. You talk, you're talking about an unbelievable, an unbelievable trauma and Rotnest is this dark dramatic you know you feel the ghosts there sometimes yeah. i think certainly um my boat did and and you um you know like lenny they they're they're just amazing and generous in in welcoming us over there to enjoy ourselves but it's it's as lenny said on the podcast it's not about being horrified 
and then going away and forgetting about it. His point was, what do we do next? Where do we go from here? Yep. And, you know, as, as you and I know, Namu, surfers are pretty in tune with the Indigenous brothers and sisters because we're so in touch with nature. I honestly believe surfing could play a big role in a genuine reconciliation and a positive moving forward in Australia. And I've been to the tent embassy in Canberra where the Indigenous guys are still there since the 70s. They're still staking that out. Wow. I've gone and spoken with them and interviewed them. And and they are really committed that, uh, like, it's, it's not about... Um, you know, it's not about criticism over the past. It's about a, a pathway forward yep. of dignity for Indigenous people. And and they're really open to the idea that surfers and environmentalists will be part of that. Yeah, sure. Part of that process and the, the Indigenous folks can show us a way to live in better balance with our environment. So, you know, go the, go the WSL, I, th- I just thought. Yeah. What they did and what, what the good professor did over there was a pretty profound and it was really meaningful yeah it's um yeah acknowledging the past is obviously an important part of the future as well so yeah good on you was for taking the time and um yeah getting a little bit of education in this area because yeah obviously we need it um in our yeah everyday lives and everything in western australia and the rest of the country as well now, Nathan, I know yeah. that you do have to... You don't really, but I do. Uh, yeah, you need to. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've got to get back to a few things yeah. now. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Braille Surf Podcast. Nathan Lynch, thanks for joining us, mate. Any last words before oh, you go? Hey, thanks to the Barrel Podcast, man. I love it. And what you guys are doing is awesome. And it's really cool to see a West Australian voice in surf publishing, man. Like not since the great... Was it West Side News or <laughs> West Side News? Not since the great wet side news collapsed and the Star Surf newsletter have we had such a profound voice for <laughs> WA surfing. So keep it up, Namu. Thanks for and the kind um, words, mate. mate. Uh, thanks, thanks for the chat today. I really enjoyed it. All right, mate. I'll uh, speak to you very soon. And thanks again, Nathan. Cheers, mate. Beautiful. Cheers, mate. <laughs>